We're going to go ahead and get started for this morning. Um, yeah, I was going to say. series tonight and we're going to show a couple of videos here to kind of kick it off but before we do that we're going to open with prayer dear heavenly father i thank you lord for this time and this opportunity uh, for the opportunity lord to listen to the things that you would have us learn about our relationships and uh, about how to do this life and um, it's hard and it takes a lot of work and uh, this group of people is a support group for each other and for us, and uh, I pray, Lord, that you would use this time um, so that we might learn new things to live our lives better. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we're going to see if this works. I thought you were doing this first. I was going to, but now we're not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
our marriage. We're well on the path of divorce. God, God wasn't really a part of our of our marriage, and um, you know, we just, I just, you know, me, I made selfish decisions, and um, I thought my life was supposed to go sort of a different direction. I just couldn't see everything that was perfect all around me. I'm Stephen Mullen. Uh, this is my wife, Tricia. We live in Cincinnati, Ohio. We've got three kids, three boys, uh, 15, 12, and 9. Uh, I head up the marketing group for a transportation company, and my wife is a stay-at-home mom and a substitute teacher. Uh, when we got married, we were 26 and 27, and um, you know, financially, we didn't do a lot of preparation about how we were going to manage money, how it was going to work in our marriage. We actually maintained separate accounts just because we really didn't know any better. And we like to have fun, too. We went on a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I come from a very musical family, and when Stephen and I were in college, uh, I was in a band with his housemate, so I was hanging out at their house a lot. I remember one day he was sitting there on the couch playing guitar, and I thought, this guy plays guitar? So music has been a big part of our, our marriage, too. Yeah, early on in our marriage, we lived in a, an apartment up from a little city square, and we used to literally walk down with an acoustic guitar and uh, play, and uh, that was, our, that was our, our fun, that was our date night. And yeah. then when it was done, we walked back up the hill to our apartment, and it was just a big part of our life. Yeah. were written. They, it was done. It was a done deal. Uh, we just hadn't filed yet. Yeah, we weren't speaking at the time at all. We were separated and I vowed not to speak to him again because I, when he left, he made a choice and I was going to honor that choice. And it was then that he told me he had an experience. And I didn't really believe it at first. I hate to be that cynical, but I thought that he was lying to get me back. And I said, well, if it happened, let's prove it. And I hated to be that cynical, but it was, you know, a boundary that I needed to keep. And he came back a couple months later with a five-page plan of how he was going to change. I mean, it was amazing. And he's always been one that's very organized and thought. And we sat there in a coffee shop for, I think, like five and a half hours. It was then that I started to believe. <laughs> the plan was an opportunity to rebuild that trust. And it was a slow process, and I understood that. I, I, I said it's her terms and her timeline. And uh, I was just grateful for the opportunity. into my life and brought us, I wouldn't say back together, but on the path to healing that led us to a church. We had, at that point, just accepted that we were going to go where God led us. When we got into that church, we just started getting, growing relationships with some really great people, and in the bulletin one day, they were offering Financial Peace University. You know, that's not a huge uh, crisis point in our marriage, but we've had no plan. <laughs> we've never really been together on money or managing money or having a plan to, to go somewhere and um, we just decided we were going to be all in. We were going to listen to what they were going to say and we just went in with our eyes wide open. 
attention and money, you try and solve the symptom. And what we found is you have to look deeper than that. Yeah, certainly there were day-to-day -day things that were not right. Uh, but the root issue was more than that. It was foundational. It was the fact that God wasn't part of our marriage. We weren't building upon that. Our priorities were not in, in order. I think financially, the same thing can be true. You can get in fights over this particular financial decision that somebody made, but but the root issue is that you haven't really discussed where you're trying to go as a family. Here's what money means to us, and here's how we're going to manage it. And, um, and here's why. And here's why, yeah. So the why is huge, right? Yeah. We were on fire with our why, because when we got back together, we knew that we could do anything. We just had to sit down and say, all right, well, how do we do that? And as a family, we need to work together to, to get there. And being debt-free was a huge part of that. But we were looking to change our family tree and put our family back together. You know, once we got to a, a foundation, it's almost as if we looked at our marriage and said, how do we, how do we restart this? How do we do this entirely better than we had before? How do we not go back into the old ways? Just being free to trust God and marriage and the day-to-day -day and in the bigger stuff and in the financial piece, that's a huge change in the way I looked at life. Once we figured out our why, it makes everything else more manageable. You can, you can get to the day-to-day -day decisions and work through the disagreements. We don't wish the hard time that we went through on anybody, but we're in complete agreement that something like that had to happen for us to really get the foundation that we needed. And it goes back to in that moment, in the parking lot when I said I felt helpless, in a big way that meant turning over control to God financially and in our marriage and just trusting that he's taken us to all the right places and you just have to trust in that. You know, the paid for house was really, really cool, but the rest of your story is better. <laughs> we went down to do our debt-free screen, not really expecting to share a lot of our detailed story. We're hoping that what we're talking about can help somebody else. You know, God tells stories of his greatness through sometimes messy situations, right? If you look at the Bible, there's quite a few. Just being able to have that experience kind of brought kind of a closure and a celebration to uh, the whole situation that we have. I think it's similar to what you do to celebrate victories along the way. However you celebrate them, whether it's a, a dinner out or a cake at home or, you know, just having the kids involved in a, a countdown to paying something off. Those milestones are really important in doing that debt-free screen to be at the end of that journey. Like I said, you kind of mark that and then you move forward and take your family where you want to go, right? It's, all, it's, a, it's a step along the way. But God had truly taken us from a point of despair to hope. When we took the class, we found that we were looking together along a path rather than just at each other, we worked together hand in hand. And the kids were able to see us talk about money and understand how money kind of flows into and through a family life. And it, it just became an open conversation. And through that, they've really gotten to see just how money kind of factors into your life and your marriage and your family and, your, and even your ability to help people and be charitable and to be giving. You're moving away from something, but then you need to move towards something. The healing path we were on turned us around, and the financial piece let us manage and actually move towards something, towards a just a destination for our family.
There's a whole family restored here and kept intact with this marriage and a future and a legacy that has changed. So our divorce papers were written. And five months later, we found ourselves in the seats of a Financial Peace University class. Since then, we've paid off $246,000, including the house. It's been a tough journey, but it's been a great one. What happened? What is this? And then I'm mad. I'm like, this 
he's saying needs a little bit of work, I was livid, livid to the point where it's a good thing he wasn't with me. I mean, I'm not a violent person, but I don't know what I would have done. I could not believe that the disaster I walked in on would was he was saying it just needs a little, a little bit of work. Even as all this debt stacked up, I never thought that obviously this easy debt is the problem. That's what I should have thought. Something I'm not, I'm not proud of now. I'm ashamed to say, but I come home and see groceries. You know, the cupboard's full of groceries. I get mad at her because she went shopping again. Why we didn't have the money for that? Well, <clears throat> I had to use a credit card to get the food because there was no other money. So I was very content in my mind to be the typical husband who complains about how much his wife spends. Just everything you've seen in every sitcom since 1950. You know, I, I was pretty arrogant. I thought I knew a lot about it. So I just kept making bad decisions because I thought that was okay. I kind of kept Karen out of the loop of any decision making. So the only way she got to participate was to feel the anxiety. Well, we probably listened to the radio show for uh, first on CDs. So we started listening to live shows for maybe another few months. Um, and so it was probably six or eight months total after we started this uh, that we took FPU. I, I think that I really heard some of the debt-free screams and knew of the despair we were in with each other and I just said we have to do something and I said you want to try this and she said yes and I just was very happy. We said we are 100% on board with this and he promised me and I promised him that this was we were going to do this no matter what. Mm. Our lives were negative, we were negative, everything about us was negative and the whole, it's like a community of upliftness. I can't, it's just so positive. That was another benefit of it, is that we didn't see the negative of everything. When we finally got rid of the second mortgage, I knew that, I think I, we both knew, this is doable, we're gonna be able to get this done. It's changed everything, it's changed how generous we can be, things we wanna do. Karen, oh, the big thing, Karen was able to go to school in her 50s. She always wanted to be a teacher. She was able to go get a degree in teaching and we completely cash flowed that. You know, I have friends who are retiring from teaching and they're like, Karen, you're not going to get any money. And I said, it's not about the money. We're just so hopeful that because FPU showed us all these strategies and methods and our kids saw it for a long time, we're really confident and hopeful that they don't have to make the same mistakes we did. We are, we have five grown children. The youngest is 18, the oldest is 27. They have uh, seen us go through this whole process. We knew we were very close to paying off the house, so we called to make the appointment to come uh, to come to Nashville and go to the lobby. Oh, and you brought a bunch of people with the you. Bunch. You brought the whole party here. The I whole mean, party, yep, this yeah. is it, right here, our legacy. This can stick with them forever, so they, they can, you know, do I want to say they can be rich? That's not really the point. Right. The point is they can have financial peace and financial options. Financial peace is not just a name. I think it just gives you a sense of, I don't know, what is it? It's peace. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, peace. pretty much. All right, Paul and Karen, Cleveland, Ohio. First time in 30 years of marriage, completely debt-free, house and everything, in their 50s, 
24,000 paid off in six years, making 90, then 80, now making 117. Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free scream. Praise the Lord Jesus. Yes. Three, two, one. We're <laughs> so as you can tell, we're going to be talking about finances a little bit in marriage. <laughs> so finances are the number one reason in America for divorce. But it's not always the way you think. It's not, we don't have enough money, we don't have too much money. <clears throat> finances impacts other areas of your life and becomes an emotional thing that now you're reacting out of and she's reacting out of we talk a lot about emotional needs in this class and we've learned slowly that our finances and how we're doing there impacts our emotional our emotional state and our emotional needs in almost every single one of them so we have some scary statistics for you this is from nerdwallet.com imagine that uh, 2017 American household credit card debt study the average household debt of any type is $133,568 household debt of any type average across the country is $133,000 13.15 trillion dollars that includes your house. That's average across America, not... Average not across America. Credit card debt, average credit card debt is 15983 for a total of $931 billion. Mortgage debt, which you mentioned, average across the United States is $178,000. California's average? There's a difference. It's big. California's mortgage debt is $347,652. That's average. That's average. That's number two in the country. Only Washington, D.C. is worse. That's it. Not even New York. Washington, D.C. That little... And that might be why. Um, I know, right? Um, auto loan debt, average auto loan debt in the United States, $27,755. Average student loan debt, $47,047 for a total of $1.38 trillion. You want to read these? So, on average, Americans spend a dollar twenty-two for every dollar they make. So that means if you make a hundred thousand a year, you're spending an additional twenty-two thousand dollars a year. That you don't really make. That you don't make. Uh, this was even more scary. This was bad. This was really bad. Forty percent of Americans are planning on winning the lottery in order to fund their retirement. <laughs> 
Um, and we wonder that's why a scary thought. Affect our relationships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Almost. So, without raising hands. And thinking about what we just read. And thinking about what we just read and what we saw. Remember, no hands. <laughs> how many of us have a mortgage? How many of us have a car loan? <laughs> um, how many of us have credit card debt? I was talking to somebody, reading an article on somebody who was in the military, and he said the moment he graduated Naval Academy, they pumped him full of credit cards. So when he was deployed, he had nine or ten credit cards with big limits on them, and he was spending like crazy. Quote unquote. <laughs> how many of us feel stressed about our financial situations? So it's very common to be stressed, and we're not talking about the odd or rare or extra special circumstances. Rather, we are talking about everyday life in America for all of us. So we're normal. Yeah. <laughs> this is now normal. How does it make you feel to feel normal? It's not a good normal. No? Some of those things, when you're reading off the statistics, the averages and stuff, and I was looking at Kathy and saying, hey, we're above average. Woo -hoo -hoo. That's not good. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how we handle our money and our finances, as I said earlier, affects our marriage. It affects our friendships. It affects all of our relationships. How many of us ever really got any financial training as a young person? I didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. My mom, she's not a good teacher, but she did teach me something that I, you know, went around my life over. And it, she said, never borrow from anyone, you know, not credit or anything. Ultimately, it is. Ultimately, it is. As we'll discover, the Bible has a lot to say about that. Um, yeah. Um, some of us learn things, good and bad, from our parents. Some of us learn stuff from our friends. Um, in my situation, in my case, um, my grandfather was a banker, career banker at Bank of America. Never made more than 28000 a year. Um, he amassed a great deal of wealth on $28,000 a year because he believed highly in leveraging his money. I think he'd been retired for 10 years. I want to say he was in his late 70s when he finally came out and said, I'm debt free. Almost 80 years old it took him to pay off all the debt that he had. I, I don't know how he did it. But that was my example. Yours? Well, my parents believed in leveraging as well. And, uh, you know, they, it's, it's worked for them. But for me, I know it would be a very stressful thing. Um, 
know, my mom was very diligent. We paid our bills, but they would run up credit cards and then pay them off, run them up, pay them off. And I saw a lot of stress in the house because when the debt was there, the stress was also there. Um, same thing with us. We had credit cards, we'd run them up, stress, pay them off, relief. Run them up, stress, pay them off, relief. And it was, this isn't really a plug for Dave Ramsey, but no. we did take his course. And, you know, that's where we learned the, the biblical part of you don't, you don't spend more than you have. You don't have to have the latest, greatest, nicest things. You don't have to show off to everybody else. Um, and for us, it was a major stress. When the finances were out of whack, we were not doing well. And it was always correlating the two together. The difference that we had between our examples growing up was when my dad wanted a new truck or a new boat or whatever, he just went and got a loan and got a new boat. Her parents would go without. So they bought new cars in 1985, and they didn't get rid of them until 2005. The wheels were falling off those cars. They had... One of them, I think, had four engines in it by the time they finally got rid of that car. Um, they literally drove the wheels off them. Um, in my case, drive it for five years. Oh, it's about time to be paid off. We're going to trade that in and get a new one. It's better, faster, whatever, cooler. Um, so I brought that into our relationship. I brought the idea that, no, that, that new truck out there, yeah, it's a ton of money, but I'm not going to pay that because I'm going to get a good deal and we'll just make a payment and we can afford that. When reality, we couldn't afford that. Um, and I'm very grateful for her because uh, we'd be in a lot bigger worse mess if it was just left up to me. Um, so again, we didn't really intend this to be a class focused on financial peace on the class that Dave Ramsey teaches. We highly recommend it. Uh, what we wanted to do was to try and take this subject and focus on the emotional needs that are fed, both good and bad, through our financial situation and through things that we do and things that we've learned. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about money. I didn't highlight them all, but um, for, we have all probably heard 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Luke 12:15 Watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Proverbs 13:11 Dishonest money dwindles away, but whosoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. And Hebrews 13:5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that was an interesting one for me because we've always seemed to focus on the, first, the last part, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But I, I guess I never really thought about the first part, the keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because in today, day and age, how easy is it to not be content with what we have? The whole keeping up with the Jones. What we don't know is the Joneses are trying to keep up with the Smiths. And the Smiths are trying to keep up with somebody ahead of them, quote-unquote, ahead. And it's just a big rat race. So some questions. 
do you think men and women think differently about money? We all know the stereotypes, but regardless of that, if you set those aside, do the genders, does the gender make a difference in how people think about money and how you feel about money or how it makes you feel? What do you think? How so? I think it also depends on your personality type too. Like, you know, you could think of like the very stereotypical woman who's very, you know, much concerned with materialistic things and having the nice clothes and all of that stuff, and then the guy who's just basic, but then that I feel like is totally based on personality. So like Anne grew up with only, you know, the focusing on, on what you need, and that's so and drilled into Taylor now too. But and then you know David seeing your dad, you know, have a different spending habit. That's not necessarily because of your genders, but just because of no, your right. personalities and habits. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're kind of stealing my notes though. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is the idea of the saver versus the spender, and we've all heard this. Um, if you listen to the stereotypes, the guy's the saver and the wife is the spender. But that's not always true. It's not true in our house. I'm the spender, and she's the saver. If it was up to us, I'd have no money and lots of really cool stuff. And she'd have lots of money and... Not much stuff. No cool stuff. <laughs> Maybe not no cool, but a lot less. Cool stuff. But she'd probably sleep at night, and I'd be up all night wondering how I'm going to pay for all that cool crap. So I can get more stuff. Because next year, there's something better. Right? So what about these kinds of things? Um, so in one of the books that we were reading... Um, they're saying the the differences between usually it's the husband versus the wife. Um, the husband financial security is something that I do, and for a wife financial security is something that I feel. Um, which even though he's more of the spender and I'm more of the saver, that still is you know it's still I true it's still us. true for me. I I need that security. Um, for the husband, it's about providing what's needed. For the wife, it's about feeling cared for. Uh, for the husband, finances are commodities to be secured. And for a wife, it's finances are instruments that affect stability. Which, yeah. For a husband, it's an esteem issue. And for the wife, it's a security issue. For the husband, I want to make enough for my family. And for the wife, I want my family to be okay. For the husband, I'm, I'm seeking security with myself, and for the wife, I'm seeking security with my situation. For the husband, security is built through gain, and for the wife, security is built through constancy. Consistency. No, constancy. Or consistency, yeah, okay. For the husband, I want to provide the basics, and this was interesting because they were saying that when a wife works, oftentimes it's because she wants to provide the extras. But, you know, the, the husband's supposed to provide, and then the wife provides the extra stuff. Um, the ex, so the husband wants to provide the basics, and the wife usually works to provide the extras. Mm -hmm. um, 
the husband likes to have extras, and the wife likes to have the basics. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so, do you guys see that that's true with how you both look at finances and, and whatnot? It was interesting. What about the idea of the free spirit versus the nerd? So what's the free spirit? The free spirit is the one that just goes wherever the wind blows, whatever hits their fancy that day, that's what they're going to buy or do or kind of. Can't take it with you. Yeah. Because I'm the free spirit in terms of looking at our our relationship much younger and there's also cultural things that influence mm -hmm. these statistics and yeah. I'm not yeah. saying that they're any different in say West Africa than they are here but but I was more the free spirit and it was more about I want to go where I want to go or I want us to go where I, I want go. us to go yeah. <laughs> yeah. like that yeah. but in terms of finances I needed it to be like I needed to make sure that I had savings and you know money set aside and all that and plan 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 financially with the, the little I had um, but then when it was time to go yeah let's do it so you can be a free spirit and not necessarily be spender. a spender yeah I agree and that's the interesting thing I think that all of these stereotypes if you will they've all kind of broken down in the sense that as our society has changed and evolved and most of us live in two income homes now of course we live in California so that makes it almost a requirement um, now the stereotypes don't really work because in many situations and I know for us at one time she made more than I made so there was that whole dynamic going on in our household as well. Whereas I'm feeling like I need to be the provider, but she makes more money than I do. So realistically, she's doing the providing and I'm not. And I had that whole attitude and not burden, but attitude, I guess, maybe, <laughs> um, going on inside of me. And I was filtering everything that she said. And every time we talk about budgets or spending or let's go do this or let's, you know, let's take a vacation or whatever, I'm filtering all of that through. I'm not good enough. I'm not the provider of my house. I'm not taking care of my family. I can't. I'm not, I'm not able to do it. Burden's a good word, yeah. Burden, that's a good word. Um, and that was playing in to that. And affecting our relationship. Yeah. Oh, immensely. Immensely affecting our relationship. Did you know that? Like, did you talk about feeding that way? Honestly, what he just said is the first time I've heard that. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, yeah. It was one of those Interestingly, things. though, <clears throat> enough, it bothered me to make more than he did. Because, and until I read these, the, the noun versus verb and how man looks at money versus a woman, I'm like, that's why I felt that way because, and again, it's it's our feelings. It's not necessarily reality. It doesn't mean that, you know, there was anything necessarily wrong, but inside it didn't sit well with me. 
when he finally started making more money than me, I was relieved. <laughs> so was I. You know? Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it, in that moment, I mean, looking back now, I wonder why couldn't I have just been grateful and thankful that we had the income to provide for our family. Instead, you know, you don't realize how much the emotional needs that we have filter into everything, including finances, how we spend our money. You know, we were just talking about the other day, he grew up with a lot of stuff. So to him, stuff is comforting for him. Mm -hmm. Well, stuff costs money, which then drains the bank account, which then takes away my security. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is something that we've battled with our entire marriage, you know, as far as meeting and, his needs. And, still do. Yeah. You know, last week. Uh-oh. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that conversation that she alluded to just a few minutes ago was that same conversation again and again. Of, and sometimes it's, sometimes I realize I'm correlating stuff to success or stuff to contentment or stuff to value. Um, sometimes I don't and I'm still doing it, but I don't realize I'm doing it. And so then I'm, when she's coming at me and saying, well, look, we got to nip some things in the bud. We're getting out, our budget's getting out of whack. Um, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so it plays into that. And for us, we learned very early on in our marriage that I was not the guy to pay the bills every month. <laughs> that was her because I was just too distracted. I had a very, um, had a very regimented way that I thought it needed to happen. And I could not make our finances and the way we were paid fit that set regimented program. <laughs> and so therefore it was just, I couldn't figure it out. She sat down and figured out really he's split. And it, it, when things were really tight, when the kids were really little, um, yeah, she's holding bills until paychecks hit so that we can so that she can make that payment. I was not capable of handling that on any level. Um, and it's fine. The one story that she brings up a lot that we talk about is a buddy of mine decided that he wanted a jet ski. And I wanted a jet ski too. And it was only a hundred bucks a month to get a jet ski. And we're like, I'm like, hundred bucks a month? We can afford that. She's like, are you crazy? Not only do we can we not afford that every month, but I'm borrowing money from my parents to float us until your check hits so I can pay them back so I can make the house payment on time because the checks don't hit right. Wow. Like, are you crazy? So she says, you want a jet ski? Here you go. She hands me all the bills. I'm done. I don't want to have any part of this. I spent what three hours at the kitchen table. Finally, I'm like, you win, no jet ski. I don't know how this. I don't know how you're doing this at all. It was really, it was very eye-opening. It was humbling. It was eating crow. But during that time, we weren't discussing finances. No. He went to work, he brought home a paycheck, I stayed home, took care of the kids, and made sure that we had food on the table. I was stressed, he had no clue, and we weren't necessarily working together to make sure that that wasn't the case, 
right? I mean, maybe if he had known how tight things were, maybe he would have gotten a better paying job. Or, but I was keeping it to myself because I didn't want, I wanted to keep the stress off of him because he was going to work every day. Um, but and yeah. instead, I was calling home, hey, I'm going to go to lunch today with the guys. Well, you can't do that. Well, I got a credit card that says I can. <laughs> and she's freaking out. I'm like, why are you getting mad? It's only five bucks. I'm just buying lunch. I made you lunch. And that was the, and after the jet ski incident, that was where we kind of started talking about this stuff. And we came to the, I realized how bad our situation was. And I said, okay, you win. I won't spend a dime. And I won't use the ATM card unless I talk to you first. Because I realized where we were. You guys alluded to something and, and just stopped me if I'm somehow connecting with things you guys are going to talk about. But um, in your expression of the dynamic of what was going on, where you were home raising the kids and he was bringing home the paycheck, but you weren't necessarily talking about sharing what the budget meant not with all. one another. I think that's pretty typical of, of families, not just young families, but of families, of couples, and especially with couples with children, because now today we have to factor in what it would have cost you had Anne also been working, but then you were paying for childcare. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and a lot of times couples are like, they're thinking, well, yeah, we're in the Bay Area, you, you know, woman Both have to work. needs to work, but what does it really cost for her to work? And, and the cost is more than the finances. Yeah. The cost is also your relationship with your kids, and so it's a, it's awkward, it's it's something that has to be pounded out, mm -hmm. and it has to almost come back to what you guys were talking about, comfort versus security, mm -hmm. you know, and, and how much in dollar signs is that worth, to have the peace of mind and know your kids are being raised the way you want them raised, and learning what are your personal goals, and yeah. your particular morals and standards, and even just the way you want them to learn one, two, threes, versus somebody else doing that and you're paying tuition for it or paying money for that. So I wish I could say I'd been mature enough to realize a lot of that when the kids were that young. Um, but I wasn't. Um, her staying home with the children was very, very important to Anne. Um, it was important but less important to me. Um, but it was so important to her that that's what we did. Um, and I think myself and the kids, and we've all benefited from that. Um, but that the idea of living within your means, that statistic that we read where it talks about we spend $1.22 for every dollar that we make, that doesn't include what we pay the tax man or our bills. That's money coming into your pocket you're spending 20 cents more every for every dollar that comes in. That's that's cultural. That's that's family. That's your own well-being and you know, your own self-esteem issues. And those are all relational things that are Im impacting why you sp are spending more than you're bringing in. Joe. Um, yeah, I like where you guys are going. I think that you know one of the things. Um, and I speak for myself when my kids are growing up, and I didn't realize this until I was older, but I spent 
a lot of money on stuff, toys, yeah. people say. And um, I didn't realize until later that one, I wasn't content yeah. with my life. Number two, it was my way of self-medicating. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. right? Because I had the stress of the job, I had the stress of providing for my family, I had the stress of making sure the kids were educated and they were eating and making sure the mortgage was getting paid. And after doing all those things, I was like, I felt like I was on an island, mm-hmm. right? And those things were my way of self-medicating, yeah. right? So I didn't realize that until, until much later yeah. and realizing, you know, what am I doing? And I don't need that stuff, the contentment, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> the other thing is we live in a society yeah. that it, that brainwashes us into we have to spend, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Every commercial you see. Oh, and that starts at every, this age. Exactly. Yeah. Because, because, you know, don't get me wrong, I love America. We're a capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, that means in order for this economy to run, you gotta spend. You gotta spend, yeah. right? So the whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses, you know, I don't think even sort of registers to us so much as maybe in our grandparents or our parents' ages in the industrial age, where you know people were cars were getting newer and houses were getting bigger and all these things were going on. And now we've become indoctrinated with like with the iPhone. Yeah. Right? That's a great yeah. example. Yeah. iPhone 9. The very next year, iPhone 10. And they come out and they go, well, we look at the iPhone 9 and we look at the iPhone 10. And they're pretty much the exact same phone. Yeah. Right? But you got to have it. Mm-hmm. I got to have because the 10. Because I guess everybody's got the 10 yeah. and you don't want the 9. Yeah. Right? Even though you can buy the 9 and keep it for probably eight years. Yeah. But then now <laughs> what they do is they'll start getting rid of the apps. So if you're one of these persons that says, I want to keep my phone for five years, all of a sudden your apps start disappearing. Why? Right? Because they realize, the corporate machine realizes that you have to keep spending. Right? You can't keep your car for 15 years. We don't want you to keep your car for 15 years. You got to keep your car for three to five years, right? Then we start talking about built-in obsolescence. Mm-hmm. Back in my grandfather's age, you had a refrigerator you could buy and keep that refrigerator for 20 years. Yeah. Try keeping today's refrigerator longer than five. Doesn't work, right? It not last that long. Because you have to, in order to keep the economy going, you have to spend. And what happens if you don't make enough money to buy the next refrigerator, then we give you the easy payment plan. Yeah. Right? Because I can't afford 2500 They're even doing that for cars now. You bought some money. Well, yeah, cars now are Now you can buy a a subscription to a car. Yeah, David found that. I don't remember what the app is called, but there's some app out there, and you pay pay X amount, and you go pick your car up. Five years later, three years later, six months later, you don't like it, take it back, trade it in for a different one. And you're making a payment for the rest of your life. You don't do any maintenance, they take care of all that. It's just like renting a car. And like you were talking about, Joe, so these things, the circuitry in them is only designed to handle heat, a certain amount of heat 
for a certain amount of period, for a certain amount of time. So at two years, all the wiring starts breaking down, all the stuff starts falling apart. It doesn't work. So they make it so it can't be kept longer. But we're kind of getting sidetracked. Um, so like we were talking about, for us, our finances, they happened to us. We didn't, we didn't have an impact on how they were happening. It was just we were in a reactive state, and we just kind of reacted as best we could. Um, earlier this year, we went down with Ron and Jean to a uh, marriage conference training thing. Um, and one of the therapists cited these things. Marriage therapists across the country universally agree 90% of their clients have one or, more, one or more of these issues. Communication about finances, money management, trust with money and financial decisions, goals or priorities in finances, money's impact on stress in marriage, handling conflicts about finances, and issues that stem from families of origin. Only one of those wasn't about money. And that was 90% of their work. Oh, yeah, we're almost at time. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about our emotional needs and finances. Um, I think they correlate pretty well. We will talk about some hands-on things that can help, such as budgets. And one of the things Dave Ramsey's a big fan of is a zero-based budget. We'll talk about that a little bit. The other thing that he's real big on, and I think is something that both you guys have talked about and Ron and Jean, is legacy. And if you do these hard things and set yourself up, you can set your kids up and train them with a legacy that now they're not slave to the machine anymore. And that's huge. And it's not about being rich. No, nothing to do it's with being rich. It's not about trying to build wealth so that you're multi-multi-millionaire. This is about providing peace in your family. And that communication that needs to happen in your family. You know, it was interesting when I've read Dave Ramsey's story. Um, he was 26. And what was the number? How much? Which was, number? How far was he in debt? He was $3 million in debt and $4 million in real estate. Yeah. So he was 26 years $3 old. $3 million in debt. He owned $4 million in real estate, and he owed $3 million of it at 26 years old. He didn't miss a payment. He didn't have financial problems. The bank he loaned the money, that he owed the money to, something changed, and they looked at the notes and go, wait a minute, 26 years old, $3 million? I don't think so. And they called his note. That's what sent his spiral down. He didn't lose his job. He didn't get sick. He didn't have what we would consider to be a big major catastrophe or problem in his life. On a whim, the bank decided to call the note. And they have that clause in every loan out there that they can call the note at any time. It's not really beneficial to them to do that a lot, but if at some point they realize the risk is too big, like in his case, 26 years old, four million, net worth of a million, really, because your net worth is only what you have minus your debt, and he owed $3 million. They called his notes. 
That's what started his downward spiral. Today, he's debt free. He has 700 employees or something like that. And he's, uh, what was his net worth? It was over 100 million. 100 million dollars in net worth. Now, I don't pretend to be that smart. Um, I certainly don't want to have 700 employees. That sounds like more stress than being in debt. But, but I, do want to, I do want to be able to go to sleep at night and not worry that if I lose my job, we're a payment away from not being able to make our house payment. Or if something that one of us was to get really sick, so I, I'd lose it all. And when you get debt-free, yeah, property taxes are never going away. You're still going to have income taxes. You still have house repairs. You have homeowner's insurance. But those are all very, very small if you take out the interest portion of your payment and the principal and interest portion. So you can lose a lot of money before you can't make a couple hundred dollar payment. It's a very different world. We're not there yet. It's a different piece. But it is a different piece. And it changes your life. So with that, we'll close in prayer. And then anybody has any comments, we can go from there. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for the tools that you give us and, the, and that you have called us, Lord, to live differently. And that living differently applies to how we run our finances, to how we run our marriages, and to how we have our relationships. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us a blueprint to do all of that. I pray for everybody in this room, Lord, that you would go before them this week and bring them back next week and keep them safe. Bless you, Lord, for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.